You are listening to a message from Southwood Presbyterian Church in Huntsville, Alabama. Our passion is to experience and express grace. Join us. Uh, If you have Bibles with you, um, open them to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at, read verse 22 through verse 38. And if you don't have your Bible, you can just follow along on the screen as I read. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. Or oh, this verse 21, excuse me. In the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord... As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child, is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Would you pray with me? as we approach the study of God's Word. Father, we come to what to some may seem a simple task, and that is we're going to read some words, and we're going to talk about them, and we want to understand them. But that's not the hard part. The hard part's in our hearts, and also that's why we need this study. So would you pour out your spirits, And speak to us now from your word. Father, you've 
chosen a fool to proclaim your glory. And we know that, Father, we need your spirit. So would you come, meet us, give me words to say, and give us ears to hear what you would have to say. And we ask in the great name of Jesus, amen. I'm excited to be here uh, bringing God's word to you. Will told me you had an hour, so don't laugh. You know, this is not one of the most popular of the Christmas stories, as we will see when we get into it, but it's still one of my favorite. You know, up until now, you come through Luke 1 and Luke 2, and you've got all these, you got all these warm and warm fuzzies after seeing, you know, these two boys born from very dramatic circumstances. You know, the shepherds and the the story of the shepherds and the angels and all of that. And, you know, what a story for the ages. But that kind of ends in verse 21. And this account of Simeon often, most often, is not included in the rest, but it is highly significant. Otherwise, Luke would not have put it here in this critical place. This story contains, if you look through the the birth narrative of Jesus, there are basically four songs that Luke gives us. You have the song of Zechariah, the song of Mary, you have the song of the angels, and now you have this song of Simeon. And this, in the Latin, this song is called the nunc dimittis, which basically means now you are dismissing. And so we have Simeon here, someone that we know hardly anything about. But what we do know from this particular account is that Simeon was a godly man. More than likely, he was a part of the leadership of Israel And he has been made, to him, has been given a very, very special promise. Somehow, in some way, the Holy Spirit has communicated to him that he would not see death until his eyes had seen the Messiah. And so now, in this period of Simeon's life, more than likely, Those hopes, you know, those days of possibility of this being fulfilled are fleeting. And so as an old man, he comes into the temple and, I mean, think about what transpires here. He comes to the temple just like any other day, every day as he's coming in to do his worship. But this day... As he's in the temple, he hears a baby cry. Not just any baby, but a baby that sets his heart aflame. 
And you can see him kind of pushing his way through the crowds. And he's trying, he comes up to and he's trying to find the source. And he comes up to this young couple with an infant son in their arms. And he takes up this child and sings. He sings because his eyes have at last gazed on the promised consolation that has come to Israel. I mean, what a moment. You know, the significance of this moment, in many ways, what Luke is doing here, he's doing several things. This is, in many ways, this is pointing to the bridge from the old system to the new, where the old the faithful of Israel, where Simeon, in a way, represents Israel itself. Simeon, in many ways, was what Israel should have been. But now, Simeon says, now let your servant depart in peace. And the new has come in the child of Jesus. And so the significance of what Simeon is saying here is all bound up, I think, in those words where Luke describes him as awaiting the consolation of Israel. And that consolation, those words, come from Isaiah chapter 40. In the very first verses of Isaiah 40, where it says, Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And some, like Simeon, had been faithfully, faithfully waiting for this fulfillment. And the word consolation, that word comfort, and they're really the same words. In fact, it's the same word that will be used of the Holy Spirit who comes to us as the comforter. He comes as that consolation. And so what Simeon says in response to this, he says two things. In this song, he says two things. And he says two things about what this child is going to bring to Israel. And the first, he said, really, it's not to Israel itself. It's, he's coming as a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Now, this, when he says this, when he's talking about the uh, light of revelation, he's not talking about just real light, physical light, but what he's talking about is the light of knowledge, not the light of ignorance. And when he's, excuse me, I'm off, I'm not used to preaching from paper. I'm used to something not quite so high tech. But the light of revelation, the world has been living in darkness and the ignorance of who God is and all that he is and they've been groping about in darkness trying to figure it all out. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place of real darkness. Have you ever been in a room or a place where it was so dark you couldn't see your hand right in front of your face? And have you ever been there for a long time? 
It's oppressive. But this is the way our world is. When we lived in Hungary, Gail and I went down into the city one day to one of the main city squares like we love to do. But on that particular day, there was a whole big group of Hare Krishnas having a festival of some kind and a lot of booths and a lot of places. They were selling things and demonstrating things. And you'd see all these idols and all these trinkets and all this stuff. And as you walk through this, the darkness of all this superstition was grievous and just oppressive. But I mean, I've seen it not just there. I had a, a, a good friend and this, this friend normally was very rational, very logical, always tried to make good, solid decisions because, I mean, that's what you do. You just think well and you make good decisions. But yet, every time he said something like he hoped would happen, he could not help himself but to knock on wood. And if he didn't have wood, he would knock himself in the head. Which, as I thought about it, was appropriate. But somehow, we thought that this inanimate material had some kind of control over his destiny. And that's darkness. And it reminds me of Isaiah, again, in chapter 44, this is, in, in some ways, as Isaiah writes these verses um, that you'll see here, it's, it's really kind of comical. Because he describes a guy who goes and cuts a piece of wood, and half of the piece of wood he burns in the fire and cooks his dinner. The other half he takes and he carves an idol and he bows down to it. And Isaiah writes he's, and starting verse 16 he says half of it he burns in the fire over, over half he eats meat he roasts it and satisfied he warms himself and the rest of it he makes into a god his idol and falls down to it and worships and prays to it deliver me and then a little bit farther down he says no one considers nor is there knowledge or discernment to say Half of it I burned in the fire. Over half of it I've made into an abomination. And then at the end, he just describes it as a deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself. That's the darkness. But to those who live in darkness, the light of the reality of God comes in Jesus. Jesus himself makes God known. And so all of those who have lived in darkness, Jesus reintroduced, shines the light of the one that we were made to know. That we were made to know intimately. And we can know him only through this child who was born to us. But that consolation, which he said, is not just in the light of the revelation of the Gentiles, it's also, when he says, glory for Israel. Now, in, as I read this, I ask, all right, why does he say glory? 
Well, it goes back again to this whole need of consolation. Because at this point in Israel's history, Israel has, they are existing under the strong, uh, repressive control of Rome. In fact, they are a people really enslaved. They are not this great people of God who everybody else should be coming to. They were, they were the scorn of the world. They were oppressed. They were suppressed. They were depressed. And all they wanted was their freedom. They wanted, again, their dignity. They wanted to be these people that God promised them that they would be. But yet they lived under this force. And they were derision, not a people glorious. She was at the mercy of her enemies and were outcasts. But what God promises in this Messiah is that to this people who are in oppression, light, the glory has come. And this child is going to be the means of Israel being that people that God has promised to them they would be. And this we see in Revelation, because if you read on past in Revelation 21 into 22, you'll see even there that all of the nations of the world are going to come to Israel. They're going to come into the new Jerusalem. And this Messiah is going to take away their shame, going to take away their oppression, and they will no longer be scorned. They will be the glorious, glorious people that God created them to be but this works not just on a corporate scale what Simeon sings of here is also true on a personal scale and I think this is so much of why I love this passage because we all live in a prison in that prison is shame. We are not the people that we want to be. We are not the people that we ought to be. We, in many ways, are the very people we don't want to be. And so we live in hiding. We live covering up ourselves. We live in fear of being exposed. Now, something you need to know about me, you hired me, so you need to know I'm an imposter. You know, in so many ways, I'm an imposter. I'm, I can present a pretty good image on the outside. I clean up pretty well. But on the inside, parts of it that, you know, you'll never see. There is a sense where I live in great fear. Fear that you're going to really know who you've got. I live in hiding because I don't think you're going to like 
what's really here because I don't like what's really here. Some people call that self-contempt. And I think it's a disease that we all share. You know, some may think it's a psychological uh, malady. I think it's the normal state of existence for mankind because we know instinctively down in our hearts that's not who we're we're made to be we are made for something else and we live in this reality that we're not that we were made to be beautiful in the image of God we were made for glory and we also know that we don't have it. Now, we're, we've just moved into a new house, which we really like. We're excited to be here. But one of the things about living here is, in this house is there's a lot of things that have to be done. And that terrifies me. Because, uh, for example, there were, we had some light fixtures that we needed to, to replace in our bathroom and I said, what's the big deal about light fixtures? Well, it's three wires, wire nuts, put them together, screw it to the wall, and bam, it should work. You know, these nice eight lights up here over this big bathroom mirror, and I put them up, and only two of them work. And I have no idea why. But see, now electrician's got to come to the house, going to come first of the week, and you know what the first thing he's going to say? Who did that? <laughs> and of course, the temptation is going to be, he says, well, it was one of those deacons that came over to the house. <laughs> I might add, I'm really appreciative of the deacons that came over to the house and have done a lot of things that I was too embarrassed to try to do. <laughs> but that kind of stuff exposes me. Exposes my incompetence. And so I just, I hate doing that kind of stuff because, you know, it's not just that. Man, if, you know, you look back, not just on those things that I do, but I look back on my past and those years, and unfortunately that Facebook continues to remind me about, I shudder. I shudder over the shame. And sometimes I get paralyzed by the fear of being known. And I want to be beautiful, and I try to make myself that way, and I just can't. But the promise here is the Messiah is bringing comfort. And he's making all things new. Including me. You know, and too often I think... When we think of the gospel, our ideas of what the gospel does are truncated. They're too small. We think that, yes, he comes, he's going to forgive us for the guilt of our sins, and I'm not going to feel guilty anymore, but that's not all he does. He doesn't just come to release me of my shame, I mean my sins. He's come to set me free from my ugliness. He's coming to bring glory. In John 17, there is an incredible passage 
that just floors me every time I read it. Starting in verse 22, John writes, The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them. Who's them? It's us. Jesus has taken his glory. He's given it to us. That they may be one even as we are. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them. Even as you love me, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory. Do you see what he wants for us? What is Jesus working towards here? What has he come to do? He's come to take what is ugly. Ugly by our own fault. And turn us into beauty. I mean, I am beautiful. Use your imagination. (laughs) Because I am in Christ. I am clothed with the garments of the bride. I am beautiful. And there's nothing, nothing that can do anything to undo that. All of us who are in Christ, we are no longer worthy of derision. We are worthy of glory. Because the comforter, the consolation of Israel has come. Tell you what, that'll set you to singing. As Simeon did. (laughs) But he goes on. I wish he had stopped right there. Because he goes on, and this is where it gets a little dicey. And because Luke writes, And Simeon blessed them and then said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the, the rise and fall of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The sweet, innocent child is armed and dangerous. And what he's going to do, he's going to upset everything. On a corporate scale, absolutely, because the Messiah is going to come and turn everything upside down. And this is a theme that's going to run all the way through the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus is turning society's values on their head In every place he comes, he disrupts things. Jesus never leaves things as they were. No one is ever complacent in the presence of Jesus. They either love him or he is opposed. And he's still doing that. But see, he does this personally too. 
On a personal level, the most, I think the most disruptive thing you can do in life is to come to Jesus. He comes to bring beauty and glory to our ugliness and our brokenness, but to do that, he has to disrupt things terribly. And he will. You know, sometimes when I think about it, I wish that Jesus would just leave me, let me be. He says, why can't I just be happy? Why can't I just be comfortable? Why can't we just have a nice little joy ride through life? Would it hurt? Well, but that's not what he does. You know, several years ago, he precipitated one of the darkest moments in my life. And he did it through one of my children. And I'm not going into all the details, but he shook my world so seriously, so hard, that I thought I was going to lose my balance. And I remember on this event being so hurt and angry at what he did in my life that I basically just crossed my arms and looked at him and says, I'm not playing with you anymore. Because you hurt me. Unfortunately, I was a pastor then, and I had to keep preaching. How do you preach the good news of someone you don't like? But see, what he was doing, he was not trying to destroy my faith. He was trying to destroy a false foundation. So that my faith, real faith, substantive faith, would actually grow. And so he was not trying to destroy me. He was trying to build me up. He was working for real joy in life. Not this false stuff that I pursued. But he had to get that out of the way. He was not trying to destroy my life and my faith. He was just replacing it with something real. And he's relentless. In this pursuit of my heart, he is relentless. It is terribly disruptive. You know, all I want sometimes is, is would you please just leave me alone? Let me just be comfortable. Let me just have some rest here. Let me just have some quiet. And he says, no, I want more for you than that. I want you to taste glory. I want you to taste the sweetness of the kingdom. He's moving us to glory. The Savior has come with a sword in his hand to put our enemies to death. And those enemies, a lot of them are in our hearts. Now, the question is, how or why would I trust him? To do that in me. It's because this child who comes with a sword pointed it to himself. 
He didn't come wielding the sword on me. He came and wielded it on himself. He didn't put me to death. He put himself to death. He died for my shame. He died for my guilt. He gave himself so that I could know life and joy and peace. And if that's the way he works, we can trust him. And so we can say to him, Lord Jesus, come. Come. I want to know glory. I want to know light. I want to know life. Come. Do your work. And I can trust you to do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you continue to show yourself to us? Show us your love, your goodness, and your mercy. Would you come and pursue our hearts? Would you bring us to glory? Would you show us the vanity of trying to cover up our own shame? And would you draw us to the place where we say to you, my comforter, my consolation, I am yours. Now, bring the glory for which I was made. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information, visit us online at southwood.org.